0: Nick, um, one of the things that's kind of come up a bit lately, at least in my brain sphere, is the idea of coating your own film or coating your own dry plates uh, or coating your own paper or doing that type of thing where where, uh, we're we're essentially starting with the recording medium and we are developing the recording medium ourselves. What? of that really seems of interest to you or is that one of those things that you are running away from screaming and um you know and there are tears running down your face and you're sure that it's not quite dead yet
1: no no it's something i really really am interested in doing um the only thing keeping me back has been that i've been too busy uh, but that should change this summer and so i'm there's two parts to getting into it. One, I want to get uh, my little rudimentary darkroom working a little better. And the other, uh, just pick a couple different processes and spend some time with them. And the reason, there's two reasons I'm really interested in it. One is that I want to make a lot more prints. And contact prints are especially appealing to me for various reasons that have to do with all the different formats of film I'm working with. And uh, the way I combine digital and film, it it would be really nice to make big negatives and do contact prints. And um, why not make really interesting, uh, you know, media to work with as well instead of just uh, sticking the old black and white paper underneath the negative. So that's appealing to me. And then there's another side of it, which is I want to fool around with odd format formats. Like I have this three by four camera. I want to come up with something closer to an eight by ten. And all of that, uh, it's difficult to find the odd-sized negatives, much easier to just make them uh, in a lot of ways, more straightforward. And then there's another reason, which is I'm still in love with color, uh, but color darkroom work is kind of out of reach for me. Um, Uh Maybe maybe, maybe someday, but right now it's too, it's, you know, I'm not going to go there. And it's kind of... Uh, counterintuitive, but I feel like these really elaborate three-color processes that you can do uh, with alternative process, they seem, even though I know they're harder, they still seem like a a straighter way to get where I want to go to me for some perverse reason, and and that's something I really want to try, is three different black and white negatives, you know, each one film shot with a a different filter, and then recombine them to make color images, and actually you know, three-color process prints that, that are done uh, you know, Are you thinking
0: about doing stage? those uh, doing those gum bichromate?
1: Well, that's the one that's most appealing to me in terms of the uh-huh. results I see. It's also supposed to be one of the more difficult, but uh, that that never that never convinces me not to try it. So I'm, I'm <laughs> I want to do that, and I love watercolor, and that's basically what it is. It's it's a way to use watercolor to make a photographic print. So
0: where I teach, um, I uh, I teach right across the hall from the ceramics room. And the ceramics instructor has put, um, on her door, a a sign that says fail miraculously. And so you're with gum by chromate, you're looking for that big miraculous failure, right? Fail miraculous or fail massively. That's the other (laughs) other option with it.
1: Sure. And, and I don't know, it, it's just something I've, I've got a, a need to try and whether I'll love it or not, we'll see, but, uh. It's it's something I want to do. So I just
0: bought uh, I went out and got uh, a series of um, filters for my camera. And here I'm going to open them up. Okay, they're in, in a nice little case. And I have a nice green filter. I have a nice blue filter and I have a nice red filter. And then I have a couple more filters that came with it, a yellow and an orange. Uh, maybe that's not an orange. That's kind of a light red. That's kind of a, a pink. But the idea was I wanted those three filters and um, I'm going to try it out digitally to start. I'm, uh, I'll just, you know, play around with that. And then eventually, you know, I'm going to set up the camera on the tripod and uh, take, you know, in sequence and remember, whenever you do anything like that, you just have to remember to always do the sequence the same, right? You have to always, you know, like it's always going to be red, green, blue, uh, so you don't have any any really strange color adjustments later on when you put the red uh, red frame uh as a green um you know as a green filter
1: but there there's a good um trick for that and i've seen people set cameras up this way if you mount those three filters in in, on on a strip that can be slid in front of the lens then you're always going to keep them in the same order. yeah
0: i could i could 3d print that
1: um Yeah.
0: yeah and i and i uh i got a 72 millimeter uh thread um filter size so you know i wanted it as big as you know was reasonable
1: is there a particular uh, t- uh, red green blue like is there a particular strength or color tint or something that's best for this uh there
0: there probably is but i am not exploring that uh,
1: mm-hmm. yet um so uh
0: you know and and the thing is there are hundreds of ways to take it from its original image and make it into, um, you know, the specific color that you want. Um, and, uh, it, you know, so you could, um, do it digitally, uh, sure. where you drop, uh, you drop the red into, you know, the red image into the red channel, uh, the blue image into the blue, ch- you know, you, know you, you can do that within
1: Photoshop. Right. You're, or you could use gels and filters in the actual like chemicals version of this where you're right, in the dark. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Uh,
0: or, or you could print them out as black and white and then, uh, once again, digitally uh, put them together, all, all that type of thing. But then you could also do a three-color bichromate um, uh, image. And there are really some very interesting things. I would not say that any of them really have a very good color fidelity, but they have a very interesting color effect. And I don't know the whole process. Do you know the whole process? Have you – I I know it exists, and I've known it exists since I was in photography classes in the 80s, but I've never seen it done. Do you know what the process is?
1: Well, it's – so there are different versions of it. Um, When when we were discussing um, some of the strange cameras in that uh, big book of, you know, 500 weird cameras from the past, there were some in there that actually – combined both the recording and the projecting into one instrument, which sort of made it easier to grasp what's going on. I mean, essentially what you're doing, it's like a encoding, decoding kind of process. So when you use the red filter, you're only gathering red information. When you use the green filter, you're only gathering green information, you know, and so forth. And the, and the three different black and white uh, negatives um, are... Recording those separate pieces of information and essentially you're just projecting back out through the appropriate color filter or channel. So if you do it digitally, it's called a channel. If you do it in the dark room, it's a filter. But you you're you're recording all the things that have red light and then you're recording all the things that have green light. And then you go back and project those one after the other onto your uh, print medium. and and reassemble the layers of color essentially Um, and it sounds improbable but actually the the way it works is because our eyes do the same thing we have three different color sensitivities in our eyes and uh, our brain is just it's you know we've spent our whole lives learning how to take those three different colors and merge them together into what we consider true color of course true color is just this random invention that happened during our evolution (laughs) so right uh, all we're doing is really it's essentially uh breaking down the processes that our brains use to perceive the world and and sort of recreating that same effect which works for us but you know it wouldn't necessarily work for a grasshopper they'd be like wow that color fidelity is terrible in these photographs (laughs) because they have they have a different set of uh you know parameters that their their vision uses so
0: it's, yeah it's why cool. can't i see into the in, into the ultraviolet i should be able to see into the ultraviolet <laughs> right. um, this kodak this... is useless <laughs> <laughs> and ilford's even worse right, right. um uh, okay so i just um looked i just typed in uh three color by uh gum bichromate printing. And there's an instructables, and I will put it in the show notes, but there's an instructables uh, link. And the idea okay, so uh, they do it with digital internegatives, um, which is okay. Um, you do lose some of the fidelity if you do it that way, but the, it takes out the, they have a registration process that they're showing, which mm-hmm. is, which is, going to be a large portion of it. But what I didn't know is um, how you got the three different colors onto the paper. And what it looks like on this Instructables is you print one of the colors, yes. uh, go through the whole process, print one of the colors, let the paper dry, coat right. the paper with the next color, expose that right on top of the other one, Right. Uh, go through that whole process, let it dry, and then do that. do that third color so um as i look at this um i'm in i'm in yeah and, and that
1: goes back to so, you know even in taglio printing where you would make three different etchings let's say one etching meant to convey the red ink one meant to convey the blue ink and then you simply you you simply run the press with each separate plate three separate times so it's this it's exactly the same in traditional mechanical printing uh that they you know that goes back a very long way as well
0: right okay and uh the other thing that i wanted to check and of course it is available uh photographer's formulary has a gum bichromate kit
1: mm-hmm. that will do
0: 35 to forty eight by 10s 35 bucks it's available at H and adorama and also i'm sure through them uh, let me see if I can find, uh, their, um,
1: so I have several books okay. on this process as well, including yeah. instructions on how to make your own stuff. So yeah, any specific information that you want, uh, I'll have a book. Okay. For... Yeah.
0: And, and I'll, and I'll put a link to like B and Um, uh, I think I will. And uh, I was trying to get right to the photographer's, photographer's formulary version, but I'm going to just do it this way. This will uh, this will work a little bit uh, quicker and easier while I'm on the air. So so anyway, th- that's a very interesting process. Um, and, uh, you know, it, there are two issues that I see that come up that make that will make each one of these uh, a little bit different from a color photograph. I mean, well, there are several qualities that make it different from a color photograph in that it will be on natural paper as opposed to resin-coated or even fiber-based paper um, that has the silver halide on it. Photographic paper really looks different and feels different. But the... um, the big thing is that while you're taking the three photos, you're going to run into the problem
1: time time.
0: time. things move, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and when I did my test, um I had that I certainly had that issue. Um, I took some pictures on a windy day, and there were leaves blowing. So uh, you know all of it said you know you what you get and then I assembled it in Photoshop, right? So, um, then you get the inverse if something's missing, then you get the inverse of that color. so, if green's missing, then you have that you have um uh that purply color uh it's a little bit off from purple. I'm trying to think fuchsia, no, it's not fuchsia anyway, you get a purply color um that
1: you know kind of if mag- green ma- like is, magenta or
0: yeah no magenta's uh well, maybe it is magenta, yeah, i I, guess I don't know magenta. yeah. yeah um so because the you know the cyan magenta and yellow are the inverse of red green and blue right um so so yeah that that absolutely makes sense so so you get that so you got those time elements um so you get those things that are going to be different um and, and you, then, you can
1: just picture having essentially an expression uh, an impressionism slider that goes from zero to 60 miles per hour wind speed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's part of the deal. Um, Well, here. Yeah. okay. well, that's part of the deal. And I've said this over and over again. And I think this is going to be the title of my next zine is that, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in going down the fidelity curve, you know, not going up the fidelity curve, But going down the fidelity curve and uh, and this is a process that was all about getting better fidelity when it was developed. It was you're at you're you're creating a color photograph where there are no other methods of creating a color photograph and a photograph by definition is a higher resolution than an etching a, a, a drawing or a painting. Um, so it is going up the fidelity curve, you know, that rung. uh, you know, is one of the, one of the, one of the steps on the ladder of of going up the fidelity curve, but I'm sure going to hang out on that, on that step as I go down the ladder. Do do you, and and there's irony there, isn't there?
1: There is, there's, there is, and there's sometimes contradictions because, uh, when you, you're talking about optical fidelity, um, But there's also there's also the sense of fidelity as meaning truth. And sometimes too much optical fidelity, it starts to look less real to our eyes and sometimes lower optical fidelity, a little bit of blur, a little bit of motion gives a better uh, feeling for what we see and perceive in real life. You know, so. okay, sure. Yeah. So that that term can you're really just talking about sort of sharpness, that that version of fidelity. Which but I also, think nowadays has gone so far that it isn't even it doesn't look real anymore. I mean, <laughs> right? You know, we're right. not capable of perceiving the kind of detail that a, you know a really big uh, high resolution yeah. image can convey.
0: Yeah, um, we just uh, our our television died. Uh, our television's been dying from the day it, it, we first got our television. It has um, it had um, uh, you know it was an uh, an HD 1080p television one of the very very early ones and it had fluorescent tubes in the back and every about fourth time you turn it on the fluorescent tubes would not start so you'd have to turn it off and turn it back on and that started you know i mean seriously a month in it started doing that and i kept uh, you know from that point on i kind of hoped it would die eventually so that i could buy a, a newer better better one well it finally did die and now, um, it, the TV that I have has all of this digital smoothing technology. So you can take a movie that is 24 frames per second, and you can turn on this smoothing, and it will upsample, it will interpolate between frames, and it will upsample the 60 frames a second. So that it looks, you know, like somebody's moving around your your your, your house, and it's just it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, uh, it, there, it, so what you're saying, uh, the whole idea of your you, you can go too far up the fidelity curve, or you exactly. can go, you know, yeah, yeah. Now, uh, I, I will say, sixty frames per second is perfect for something that is actually live. So if you are watching a sporting event, sixty frames per second is killer that that's wonderful mm-hmm. i love that um but if you're if you're watching a you know uh, a film noir my god they're moving incorrectly you know mm-hmm. uh, so yeah. so anyway um but I, I like the idea of truth being the the term of fidelity because you're right at the high end there is that Feeling of uh, there's that unnatural feeling because yeah. our eyes have been so accustomed to that 24 frames a second um, for for uh, film and 30 frames a second for video. Um, those two things, our eyes are accustomed to that, so so we have that that feeling of uh, of appropriateness there um and the uh but if you if you back up uh to before our eyes were accustomed to photographs um or when our eyes were accustomed to photographs being black and white representations of the world and suddenly you get a color representation of the world that's either a, a super enhancement or that's once again, we get into that what you're talking about when it's too real is the uncanny valley. Um, and uh, when it's hyper real, um, then you, you you get that that dissonance of I'm expecting this and I'm receiving that.
1: Right, uh, and, and there's also the whole thing of the experience of looking at a still image is quite different than looking at the real world, because we're always collapsing a big span of time to create semi-still images in our brains and so it's sure. very di- it's very different than that instant moment that is that is stopped by a traditional camera that's that's just not something that our brains actually can do we we can approximate it and sort of fool ourselves in, into thinking We're seeing a static scene when you look out across the mountains or whatever, but it's not really the case. You're actually assembling a bunch of information over time. And if anything is moving at all, light or cloud shadows or even a little twinkling in the distance, that's going to create a very different feeling than you will ever get in a still image. So that there are still images that can kind of cue that feeling. And usually they're a little lower in fidelity, a little bit uh, impressionistic maybe a little blurred and those actually in a way can feel more real or more right very often. Uh, right. And, and, right. And finding that it's going to be different for different images. So there's all these things that have to do with, so how far away the subject is, how detailed the images I'm starting to really understand a little bit the, the, the way resolution works. There's a right resolution depending on how much detail there is in the scene and how wide your angle of view is. And, with any recording medium, and especially with digital ones, which are very rigid, so there's just so many pixels per inch, you know, those, if it's wrong, it just is wrong. Like, there are scenes where their leaf detail is too fine, and it looks, it just looks wrong when I photograph it, and I can't fix it. And I and think in those cases, you either need to go up or sometimes down in your uh, in your uh, resolution. Sometimes a lower resolution right. actually works better uh, to to you know, sort of convey, and then all, and then of course the output matters. You know, whether what size screen you're looking at, if it's a if it's a print, how big it is, how far away you're standing, all that stuff. Right. It it's an, a lot of things to solve, and it's one of the reasons people always say you should do the same thing over and over again until you get a hang the hang of it, because <laughs> there are so many variables in getting any right. one image yeah. to feel right. It, it's it's actually kind of uh, daunting when you think about it
0: sure hey Nick what do you think you want to start the Homemade Camera Podcast
1: yeah why not So I'm looking ahead. I just finished a big uh, project at work and now I'm looking ahead to what kind of fun camera uh, building projects would be something I can tackle this summer. And uh, there are too many to even I have a huge list. In fact, this is something I meant to talk about. I I keep notebooks. I love those little, um, you know, those little school composition books that have the marbled, fake marbled covers those are yeah. kind of my favorite way to keep notes because they they stay together. So you have to at least write like, you, you know, you're not going to just rip the pages out. Uh, but at the same time, they're informal and cheap. And so, you know, you don't have to be uptight about them either. So I and I end up starting a new notebook for different topics so that I'll be able to find stuff later. So like if, for instance, there's one notebook just on Graphlex cameras so when I find information that I might want to, you know, refer to, I can write it in that notebook. Another one on the mercury system, you know, and so forth and so on. And that way I can always go back um, and find out, find the things that I wrote down. Because my other note taking system, which is just to write things on pieces of paper and throw them in a giant heap, (laughs) is useless. (laughs) Completely useless. Sherwood
0: (laughs) Anderson's uh, Paper Pills. Do you remember that story? Sherwood Anderson's Paper Pills? I must have read
1: it because I read all his stories once. Yeah. Remember that one? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Anyway, it's about a guy who, who puts notes on, you know, writes notes on scraps of paper and then shoves them into his pockets until they uh, congeal into a paper oh, pill. yeah. So,
1: I was thinking so. it, that you were he was taking them orally, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the first, um, I mean, there are so many things I wanted to try out, and I started going down my big list in one of these books. So there's a book that's just lists of crazy projects, and... Uh, I decided I should try at least one of the more exotic ones. And the, the one that keeps coming, I want to make some kind of camera that will float on the surface of the water and can be either pointed down into the water or up into the air. Um, that This is something that I've wanted to do for a long time. And there's different versions of it. And one of the more... Uh...
0: You don't want to just go out and get a iconos?
1: No, no. this is I want to make something for bigger film than that. And huh. the Nikonos really, there are a couple lenses for that system that are good for both above and below water, but they're kind of in the 35 millimeter uh, for a 35 millimeter film. So they're in that slightly wide angle, but not properly wide. And I think for underwater, uh-huh. I think uh, one tends to want a particularly wide lens and those lenses, they're their wide lenses are only for underwater use. So they're right. Anyway, that's one thing. The other thing is it's 35-millimeter film, and I kind of want to shoot on bigger film. So uh, really all I'm talking about making is a little boat with a window that I can stick a camera in and then figuring out a camera that's appropriate. And to be able to see what you're doing at that interface, you really have to look through the lens. And so that basically comes down to some kind of reflex camera. Um, uh, But homemade, I'm looking at... So there's a couple possibilities. One would be to just insert any camera into. So I think what I'll do to start with is make make basically make a little submersible for cameras uh, with a window. And then I can try different cameras out and um, make the thing waterproof, but float so that you can peer down into the top of it from, you know, either wading in the water or from a boat or whatever and point it down or up and, you know, get that that interface at the surface of the water. Um, It'd be a lot of fun. And uh, so that's what I'd like just one of the things I'd like to do is make this kind of camera boat um, uh, so that I can start experimenting with this idea. And once I find the lenses that work bright and the film uh, formats that work well and so forth, then I might make a spe- you know a specialized waterproof camera along those lines. Sure, sure. So that's um, a, that's projects. I- have you
0: done any, uh, underwater film photography, uh, in the past?
1: Yeah. Um, just using like little simple point and shoot. In fact, I have a really kind of cool 35 millimeter one that I found in a thrift store for a couple bucks. Uh, it's a 28 millimeter lens point and shoot, you know, just uh, sunny 16, no adjustments, just, you know,
0: yeah. change, change
1: yeah, yeah. the film, change the film speed. If you want to adjust to conditions and uh, but it it's uh that wide angle lens means it's everything's in focus uh you you know it helps underwater that that whole depth perception thing is different anyway so wide lenses tend to work best and it looks like a great uh great little camera so i should play with that um and i've used cameras like that i've had you know snorkeling waterproof cameras that were just simple you know just a button to press nothing else to do and uh um, but they if a tiny piece of film, uh, you know, they're not the greatest. So I'm, I'd like to, to start at least get up to medium format. And remember discussing in an earlier episode, the this Russian photographer who made a four by five camera. And I was particularly taken with his solution to waterproofing, which is he made the camera uh, with holes in it. So it just fills up with water. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and then you sure. don't have to deal with all that pressure vessel and, you know, controls that go through through you right. know, the water layer and any of that it's just like well there's actually not a problem as long as the uh, water isn't so polluted that the film starts developing while you're taking the picture um right. it's
0: <laughs> it's fine <laughs> sure uh yeah 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 absolutely um <laughs> I, I'm sorry that just that just amuses me as uh it, it's the classic um uh, joke about um uh it, what is it, it um it, it, there's a there's a classic joke about uh the U.S. space agency spends a million dollars making a pen that will write in space. Whereas the Russians give the cosmonauts pencils.
1: It's not a joke. That's true. The true story. Yeah.
0: Oh, no, I know. <laughs> I know. But it, but it, but but it's made as a you know, it's told as a joke of, you know, uh, you idiots. You don't need that technology.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, right. So right. well, so, anyway, so that's so that that's another version. And and in, yeah. in that version, I'm kind of interested in the idea of, of a TLR. So an underwater TLR. Um, sure. A lar- sure. The big with a large format size. I think wow. that could be a, yeah, yeah. a super fun. Um, the
0: the big thing is uh, the water and the lens together cuz I just uh, uh I'm I'm just, you know, uh, certainly a lens will work when surrounded by water. But if you get water between the inside the, the lens. Right. Well, there are two things that would happen. One is obviously that when you take it out, drying the thing out and not having, you know, all this, you know, fogging that we, right. we get, that that's a problem. But the other thing is you're throwing, you're changing the internal light bending capabilities because right. there's glass air interface that's now replaced by glass water interface.
1: Right, different and the diffraction, glass, refraction.
0: Different, yeah. right. So... Yeah. Uh yeah, so that may have a, a focus element that uh, uh, so it may focus uh uh twenty percent off, you know. Okay, so uh,
1: assuming assuming you're using a lens with more than one element, which of course yeah. you could just use a meniscus lens, but sure. if you're using one with more than one element, it's not it wouldn't be technically that hard to seal it up. I mean you you yeah. basically just need a tube and a bunch of silicon goop and and you could make it waterproof uh internally and you know, I'm not saying you want to do this with your finest lens, but <laughs> it's already going to be underwater. You know, it, it's it, it you're you're this is going to help you down your fidelity curve. I think you should probably do some of this. You've got plenty of water <laughs> down where you are. <laughs> right, and the other exactly. the, this also brings me to another <laughs> idea that I have, which is I've been thinking about uh, using water as either a lens or a filter. So think about how much fun it is to photograph ripples and moving water. And I thought, well, what if, you know, what if we make like a way to have rippling water passing in front of the uh, image making device, you know, some some sort of different ways to have, I don't know, lava lamp effects going on in your in your uh, camera system sure. and uh, that, sure. that, Absolutely. that there were water lenses. I mean, people did make lenses that were essentially a hollow vessel that you filled with water and. Um, and there were cameras designed that way and even very early on um and and i think that well so imagine like perhaps a lens that can change shape and and one thing that might help that is if it was filled with fluid and you know anyway there's ideas that would be fun to play
0: okay so i've just re listen to because i i listen to to books as i'm doing other things i've just recently um listened to again the book dune from you know from the old old uh uh you know the 1965 book dune yeah that's and a, that's one a great the, one i've read it yeah yeah one of the things that they and by the way anybody who says oh yeah well i saw the movie just go kill yourself because that right. movie's crap Uh, Even if it's it's even if it's David Lynch and I absolutely love David Lynch, um, uh, it just you can't take um, uh, 40 hours of content and put it into two and a half hours and make it any sort of cohesive. So um, but uh, but but one of the things that they have in that is they have um, oil lenses Uh, They talk about the oil in the lens changing pressure or changing, you know, so maybe what you want for that is not fluid lens, but you want an oil lens Uh, because, you know, for one thing, it has more refractive capability because it's it's more viscous Um, and and perhaps as you change the pressure, you can change. You know, uh, if you think about con convex planar lens. So a planar means on one side it's flat, the other and convex means that it bulges out. If you increase the pressure in that situation and, and the convex or excuse me, the planar side is a rigid surface and the convex side is a, uh, is a flexible surface by changing the pressure. You could change that angle and you could use it for focus so i think think you're describing the human eye to some extent yeah yeah. (laughs) it's exactly the human eye yeah absolutely although it's not um you know since the sensor is within that system uh you don't have to have the rigid back uh but yeah absolutely and that's and that's the reason why as we get older we need reading glasses because the um the flexibility of the eye changes right as opposed to your vision actually it's not your the what's changing your vision as you get older is the um is the ability for it to flex right it's stiffening uh, up st- yeah stiffening up absolutely as i as i wear my reading glasses and i look at my other pair of reading glasses that have a different power so, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, so, so that, that's something that you could certainly work through. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure how to test it. And I'm not sure how to, um, you know, how to make it and what materials to make it from. But that certainly a system uh
1: that you could that you could uh do. So and and one version of this and I don't remember whether I've mentioned this before or not but it's worth repeating um is to use natural water surfaces. So the surface of a stream which ripples is always a fantastic thing to shoot from the air, but I was thinking well why not make a camera designed to sit on the bottom of a stream and point straight up through the through the water into the light. And so this would just be an underwater camera that was, you know, that that sank and you would just sit it on the bottom with a remote release and take pictures up through the water into the, into the world above. So, you know, into the air a, yeah. a woodland stream or whatever. And, and that would allow the, the natural flowing water to be the filter uh, or slash lens. Um, right. And I, it might, it seems like it might be a very, very simple approach to do something pretty interesting. So that's sure. another Another of the underwater water type camera ideas that I wanted to play with. All right.
0: Well, one of the things that I've been doing a lot lately and anybody who follows me on Instagram, I am Graham Homemade Camera on Instagram. Excuse me. Uh, I'm sorry. I just uh, uh, suddenly had to sneeze. Okay. so one of the things that I've been doing lately is I have uh, following an idea that I also saw on Instagram From Dale Willits, who is uh, delusions of delusions of competence, I believe Um, he had he took a uh, a Holga and um, created a slit mask for the Holga and took some pictures. So I said, first of all, you know, uh, I'm uh, this is not my idea. I'm stealing it whole, wholly stealing it but um i i said i love love that idea so i went and uh, cut a piece of uh mat board with a slit in it it's about a four millimeter wide slit and started taking pictures and at first um here's the Holga, and i'm going to advance it so you get a click excuse me you get a click every time you advance it um Each one of those clicks I've figured out now is about a millimeter. Uh,
1: So the film travels one millimeter each time you feel a click.
0: Right. And and of course, uh, there is, you know, a difference on um, uh, different. um, uh, What am I trying to say? There's different parts of the role are going to have a different advancement. Because of the changing diameter of the take-up reel, but it's a, uh, but as it's for, a
1: steady change all through the whole roll, so it's not going to be very dramatic.
0: Right. Um, so the so the whole thing with that is um, uh, I uh, I have a four millimeter slit that was what I cut, and I was advancing it one millimeter uh, my first roll. Um, so essentially, what I was doing. Was not only was I only taking a very small sliver of a photo um, and then I would move the camera a little bit. And uh, if you move it from the left to the right, you get a progression going across um,
1: that makes sense. You know, with that camera, it depends on which way the film goes in, the, in yeah, the transport mechanism. Right. Yeah. Why don't I do it the other way?
0: What a fool. I should be trying it, you know, go right to left. Okay, so that's what I'm going to do in my next roll. Everything's going to be right to left. Okay, so um, my uh, so what I was doing was I was moving the camera just a little bit and advancing it just a little bit. I was moving the camera more than I was advancing it, and so I was getting these very horizontally compressed images, but I was also getting overlap. So any given four millimeter strip would have four exposures on it because I'm only advancing at one millimeter, which I think is a little bit. Uh, it was I was getting extremely dense negatives. Right. Um. But the, uh, it, it, you know, it, it's okay. It's, you know I can scan through that, uh, uh, or I could print through it for that matter. But the the big thing that I I had have been having fun with is the idea of an image starting and stopping so like i took a picture of a water tower so i have a sliver of a water tower and then i moved it i think i uh, on that one I, I advanced it two clicks so then i have a, another picture of the water tower and i'm moving it I'm moving the camera as i take a picture so that they're in any given spot in the in the the film or in the image, there are at least two exposures right on top of each other. Right. And I think at that point, there was actually just a tiny bit of a third. I was getting even a little bit more. So, so let me
1: just slow you down for a second. So you're yeah. basically doing two different uh, overlap processes. One is you're moving the film less than uh, than, than, the amount that the, that the uh, film gate is capturing so that right. creates one kind of overlap it's like if you're using any uh you know roll film camera and you don't advance all the way and you you know overlap to the next image but you're also moving the camera by eye by feel so you're also changing the field of view in a way that may or may not overlap so right there's two different simultaneous different kinds of overlap and that that starts to get fairly complicated, but you're since you're doing a rote process, it makes kind of a, a consistency. You know, right. it's like you're not changing the right. rules in the middle of, of of the you know of the of the image. You're you're uh, following I, one set of rules and but you're just doing it with a little bit of uh sloppiness because you're not using a mechanical spacing thing. And so yeah, the other thing just, that occurs to me. Just wait
0: is, until my next roll. Uh, the other I'm thing
1: that you can change is you could change <laughs> you could change the field of view of the that's that the lens produces, you know, as well. So that that's another factor. So here's you should set a camera up like this, but with a zoom lens on it, <laughs> so that you oh, yeah, you, yeah. you can also zoom in or out as you're going left to right. Um, yeah. And and you know I don't know what that'll do, but it, it could make something sort of you know start small and get big or you know whatever
0: um. right and i have done this with a full frame before uh i've done it with a couple of my um franking cameras um and and one of the things is when you do it on 35 or on excuse me 120 film it's easier because generally those advancements are not tied with the cocking of the shutter etc um, and, uh, and I think I did it, I did it with my yellow box that has the Schneider Iseron um, from, and the Polaroid shutter um, and, uh, I, and I think I did it on that, and I, and, oh, oh, yeah, 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 because it's, it has an, uh, RB67 back on it, and the back was, um, you know you can you can advance those a little bit, and again it's not connected with the um, uh, with the, the the shutter system, right? It's not uh, the advancement of the film is not connected with the shutter system, so that I could do those kinds of multiple exposures. And but it doesn't work as well. It really is not as compelling, at least to my eye, it's not as compelling as it is for the master for the Holga. So so okay. Um, Once I did, you know, I I made uh, um, two rolls worth of pictures with that Holga, I started thinking of, well, well, then I made a uh, 3D printable mask and I'm going to make these available on my Etsy store. I just have to print up several of them uh, to get them available and they'll be relatively cheap. I haven't figured out what the cost is, but. Um, You should have it in the U.S. postpaid for under 15 bucks. So um, that's that's the idea. Um, You know, of course, across across the oceans is a little bit more money. But um, what I'm what I started thinking about is why does it have to be a rectangle? Um, Why couldn't this be an oval? And so you get in the center of that you would have more exposure than you would at the edges.
1: More overlap, you would, yeah.
0: You, yeah, because there's more overlap when the oval's wider, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, or you could do a circle, or you could do any number of shapes, or you could do multiple shapes within one uh, within one mask. So I'm going to start playing with that a little bit more. Um, you know, and, and what I started off with was you know a single slit in the center that doesn't mean that you couldn't put multiple slits along there maybe of much narrower gauges um
1: yeah this is uh, gonna so, be it. You, you could do this for the rest of your life i was just thinking too right. you could you could try alternating you know two clicks four clicks two clicks four clicks like there's an oh, infinite yeah. infinite number of combinations of variables that yeah it, it could be crazy
0: yeah I have a portrait series that I want to do, uh, which is really odd because I never take pictures of people. Um, so, but I'm going to, uh, you know, I'll start with cars. That'll work just as well uh, as a proof of concept. Um,
1: oh, and I think that, this, I think you should do humans broken up in strips. I think it's a really, yeah,
0: that's, yeah, that's yeah. the idea. So if I have two people here, here's an idea. And this is one of the things that's going through my brain. But if I have two people, um, you know, I can do a, a pen across, you know, several images across one person, but if I alternate them, so I take a picture of one person, I take a picture of the other person, take a picture of the night, you know, so, you know, I take the, the, um, uh, the right shoulder, um, their right shoulder, uh, the left edge as we look at them. Um, and then I take the... Uh, middle strip, the next strip of the other person. Then I take, the, you know, I keep returning, I keep alternating back and forth, person to person. Have,
1: could... you ever, have you ever? Have you ever played a game where you take a piece of paper and you fold it into four or five? Uh, it's a long strip of paper, and you fold it into four or five, like uh, bellows style, flip, flip, flip. Uh uh-huh. You draw a head, and you turn it over so that the head is hidden, but the neck lines come down to the next fold okay the next person draws the shoulders and and same thing so Uh no one can see what anyone else drew you're just drawing the the body in vertical stratification and then when you open it up you end up you know with a person that changes uh you know appearance and gender and whatever else from top to bottom and you could essentially (laughs) do the same thing with with taking pictures of people and i'm just picturing the uh, the vertical movement um, version of this uh, could be really fun, um, right? So imagine that you you basically could move the f- so the can the hammer could hold still, but you could move the film gate either horizontally or vertically between shots and just substitute subject. So you take a picture oh, that yeah, yeah. where the, just the head is captured, and then you, you click down to the the shoulders, and someone else stands there, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah there there were companies that made um made filters that went on the end of your lens and it was a double exposure um so it would block out the top and you'd take a picture then you would you would rotate the filter and it would block out the bottom um and yeah, you'd take same the top idea. yeah it's a, right, it's right. that it's that same concept it's just this is a little bit more infinitely variable um, mm mm-hmm. So. So, yeah. OK. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think there's something to that.
1: Um, I, I'm, yeah. Now I'm that... starting to get really interested in this idea of a movable film gate uh, that you could move around. Right. That's that could be really interesting. It's sort of like taking the so. So I've been using the shift stitch adapter digitally, and that depends on having Photoshop to stitch the things together. But if you right. just had a big piece of film and, and had a movable film gate, you could do the same thing on a single negative. Um, God, that's right. That's a really fun idea. And and it, no need for Photoshop. It would all be, you know, anal- analog in camera uh, merging of different parts of an image.
0: Right. So actually, that brings me to uh, the second thing I wanted to talk about today. And that is uh, Graham from the Sunny 16. He goes by... Myopic me on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, he created an ultra large format 16 by 20 pinhole camera, and he r- used for his recording medium four sheets of paper. And uh, it was uh, something, I think he said it was like a 13 minute exposure, and it started raining. Um, and uh, but it's a good I, image, it was a strong it's image. A Absolutely. It was a strong image. And uh, it was a picture of a a church, I believe. And and it it, I just I just looked at that and I go, oh, man, I need to do that. Right. You know, so I've been thinking about how to how to do that myself. I think you made the the camera
1: out of a box that a a record player came in.
0: Um, Right. Just a big,
1: giant, fairly shallow box so that you could. Yeah fit four eight by 10 sheets on the back and then have a fairly short uh, flange back distance, you know, so that you could get a nice wide image.
0: Right. Um, and uh, I, I, I think that there's something there that I, uh, that I need to do. And one of the other things that I was thinking about is the whole idea of a suitcase camera, um, you know, like a carry on size suitcase Mm-hmm. That would give you probably sixteen by twenty um, or you could do you know um, eight by uh thirty uh, you know so eight high by thirty by three sheets wide you know you could do all sorts of different formats um with with a suitcase camera kind of uh, setup yeah so um uh, I yeah 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 there's some fun stuff there.
1: Yeah, that, that definitely was exciting. And I, I've got to come up with a, a lens that throws a really big image circle because I just haven't yet clicked with pinhole and I'm really enjoying lenses. So I need to find something that'll that'll throw a pretty big image circle. I yeah. did figure out that it turns out I have a 210 millimeter four by five lens and it uh-huh. turns out that actually comes really close to eight by 10 close enough that as long as you're not trying to get everything out to infinity you can make it work so mm-hmm. so i have something to at least start with on that sc- size scale and, right uh, yeah
0: did, did, um uh, martin now nah, i'm gonna i'm gonna get the get the name wrong there was a guy who just um in new york did some photos uh in a skyscraper and it, there was an empty floor on some sk- skyscraper. And so he blacked it all out and he was taking the pictures on Instagram or he was posting the pictures on Instagram of them of them doing it. And essentially they made a camera obscura and shot onto, um, you know, uh, panoramic, probably 40 inch wide, 32 inch wide um ilford direct positive uh paper did you nice. did you see any of that on yeah Instagram? i did i, I did yeah see it. yeah do you remember his name do you remember no. the nope. the guy's nope. name okay nope. uh i'll track it down and i'll put it in uh my uh put it in the show notes if i can if and i and if i can't then uh sorry um but uh, i i found that to be very very interesting use of ultra large format What do you want to talk about next?
1: Um, well, we talked about some camera building ideas. Um, I mean, as far as rambling on goes, um, I had a couple ideas for uh, wanting to get a little better setup for make for doing build uh, work in terms of a workspace. And you're working on setting up a dark room, so right. that's one direction um, we could talk chat about. Um,
0: okay yeah go ahead and start it
1: so uh, one of the things is i'm wanting to get into doing more uh, builds where i tinker a little more severely and make some more parts from scratch and i'm not set up for 3d printing and other people can do that uh, better than i can anyway Um, but i like making things out of wood and metal and that sort of thing and i i have a a work shed that i built mostly for storage but i put a, a a work table on one side of it and I need to get a little better set up. I need a couple things. I need a little, a small bandsaw and maybe one of those little bench top uh, belt sanders that the small ones with a thin belt um, so that I can tinker with small parts a little more easily um, changing their yeah. size and making shapes. And if I have that set up I'm ready to go, it's much easier if I just have an hour of time to just go out and make a part instead of kind of thinking, Oh, I can't do it because I have to get all set up. You know, that's, that's the right. key to being productive is to have dedicated workspace that you can just leave ready to go and you don't have to dig everything up and assemble it when you want to do something. One
0: awesome. thing I will tell you is you don't want the belt sander running anywhere where you have your uh, your enlarger setup. <laughs>
1: yeah, so this is not where
0: I will be doing darkroom work. <laughs> okay, okay. Two different rooms. There we go. Right. Okay.
1: But it. But you're right. That is a factor because I am storing some enlargers in there at the moment.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I've
1: been collecting darkroom uh, stuff. There's a lot of re- old and retiring photographers around where I live, and a lot of them are just starting to dump their things, their gear, and I'm yeah. sort of scooping up what I can, um, thinking ahead to when I have more space. Uh, eventually, I'll build a dark shed, um, just you know, a little windowless shed <laughs> somewhere around here that I can uh, go. Play around in the dark,
0: right? And uh speaking of your 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 one one enlarger lighter this week
1: because you're
0: you, you've sent one to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a old gentleman in the neighborhood gave me an, an enlarger that he's had since some many decades ago when he was living still in Europe. The guys from Holland, uh, and he was. Turning over some photograph some old photo gear to me, and, and he kept insisting on me taking this enlarger, and I kept saying, "No, no, I already have one. I already have one." Uh, uh-huh. And then he just, he just wouldn't take no for an answer. And so when Graham needed a small compact enlarger, this is yeah. a Europe, European design from the uh, Czech Republic. I guess it was Czech. Czechoslovak- Mi At the time. Yeah, yeah. it's a it's a nice and larger and it's designed to all fold up and go into a small box because, you know, guess what? A lot of Europeans live in small apartments. uh, So it seemed to be exactly what you were looking for.
0: And that's yeah. uh, Storage is at a premium uh, where I am right now. So so, yeah, that's um, uh, very important um, uh, to me. So. So, yeah, that uh, I'm excited about that. But you were you're going to talk about builds.
1: Well, so right. no, I, I yeah. just want to set my, uh, my yeah. shop up a little bit, um, better for making small parts. So I'm used to making uh-huh. large things out of steel and I need to be working more with bits of wood. And, you know, I have, yeah. I have hand tools, but to, to have a little bit more, uh, control like a small jigsaw or bandsaw, little tiny bench top bandsaw, those cheap ones would be super handy for just cutting small parts out, um. A couple things like that I'd like to get set up just so that uh, it's easier to go make and modify parts. Um, And I do want to do some things with 3D printing. So I'm you know, we've talked about having this idea of making basic components that would uh, make it easier for someone to quickly build a camera. So if if you had like a a graph lock back unit and a lens board unit and, you know, someday I hope a shutter unit, then then a person could just assemble a camera Uh, and the parts that are hard to find or make could be available. So that's another project. Um, and I'd like to do it both ways. I'd like to, to, to make, uh, sort of set a standard for simple, um, construction out of wood, because a lot of people have the tools and knowledge of how to work with wood as well as the 3d printed thing, because it's a whole other realm. And, and some of the nicest stuff is definitely still made out of simple pieces of metal and wood. Uh, I don't want to lose track of that because uh, a lot of my favorite cameras are built that way. And that brings up one more tool. There's an interesting tool that a lot of blacksmiths use called a a fly press. And it's a, you know, like imagine an old fashioned printing press, which just works by pressing down from above. So you have a frame, you have a frame and then something that exerts mechanical force downward. And a fly press uses a big uh, Acme thread screw. Uh, screw like it's sort of like a big bolt shaft with threads, but they're mm-hmm. more like the threads in a vise. the acme thread has big thick uh uh you know the ribs that stick out are thick and strong and okay uh cre and that spiraling down creates a inclined plane, but they're not super hot they're not super fine threads so that you it moves fairly quickly um-huh and then on top instead of a crank, it usually would have a big heavy flywheel um. So you reach up, you grab the flywheel and spin it, and it quickly presses down with a fair amount of force, but also a fair amount of speed. And the point is that you can make a die. And
0: yeah, this this is not
1: as hard as it sounds if if you if you're a metal worker and uh, you can put in a thin piece of sheet metal and just press it down quickly and make a a standard shape. So something like a lens board or, you know, even parts to make camera bodies, you could you could right. fairly quickly produce you know, interesting curved shapes in, in sheet metal this way. Um, yeah. So this is something that I've never bothered to buy for my own work, but suddenly I realized, wow, this would be a great tool to have for you could making probably, kind of those old-fashioned cameras, you know.
0: Yeah. You could probably even find old dyes, um, you know, like circles. um That oh, you sure. could then, you yeah. know, cut gears from. A die is uh, just
1: a shape of metal. Um, right. Now, right. now since I do hot forging, there's actually this wonderful, quick way to make much more complicated dies. So if, if I make a, right. a a steel, if I take the time to carefully shape and grind a steel shape, like just imagine, I don't know, it doesn't have to be complicated, but imagine instead of a square box, you have nice rounded ends on it. Well, right. I could make, take the time to make that shape out of a piece of steel uh, in positive form. Uh-huh. And then it take another block of steel and heat it up to very high temperature and then just press the cold shape into the hot metal and it will leave an impression exactly the shape you want. Um, right. And then you have a female dye that you could put under a press. So th- there are okay. all sorts of ways to do that, but, um, you could also use, um, the tradition, you know, most traditionally people would just machine that shape out. So that'd be another way to make a die If you were really going to go into production, then you might take the time to do that, but right. it doesn't have to be like you're saying. It could be very simple. You could just find found objects, you know, pieces of steel at the scrapyard that are kind of the shape you want and, and work from there. So,
0: okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a very, yeah, very, very interesting. Um, I, I think that that is, uh, yeah. So how long is it going to take you to set that up?
1: Well, it depends. Uh, it's, it, a fly press, you can just find one and buy it, so um, that well, would not take okay. any How time about, at all.
0: Well, you have that big massive hammer,
1: right? Would yeah, that that's, do that's a similar no, thing. No, you, or is well, that okay. that's overkill? Yes, that I would, have that made dies for that. Uh, it makes its uh-huh. own dies because you you basically you make your positive and then you make uh, a top and bottom die that are connected by a, a flat bar that in, that makes like a spring, so that they are held slightly apart until you press down from above. Then you you heat that up, put the cold uh, original piece in there, and just put it under the hammer, bang bang bang. There's your die. done in a, in a few seconds. But uh-huh. and then you let that cool off, and then that becomes the uh, the cold part. And then you put hot metal on inside it, and it'll reproduce the original shape. Uh, but that's okay. not something that makes sense for camera parts. That's for big heavy, heavy duty uh, thick pieces of steel. Not anything. You know, I want to make thin light shells for camera bodies or you know that kind of thing right um, out of sheet metal because it's a lot of fun i love those old uh folding cameras and right. the early could 35 you, millimeter cameras that were made by essentially pressed yeah. formed metal
0: could you also um uh yes stamp out a shape so for instance could you stamp a um a nose cone that is maybe, um, uh, I don't know, six, seven millimeters in length.
1: You can um, stamp any shape. The the trick yeah. is it has to be, it's like doing a foundry work. You have to be able to take the mold apart and have the thing come out afterward. Right. So you can't right. have, you can't have things that fold back underneath, you know, you, it has right. to always be a pretty simple right. form. But the secret is you just, you design things so that you, you add together two or three parts to make more complex forms. And you just, you know, rivet them or glue them together or whatever, you know. And even with 3D printing, that's usually right. the best solution is you make multiple parts and then screw them together afterward. And, and that's how all yeah. the old cameras yeah, yeah. were made, too. I mean, it, if you look at the great Voigtlander cameras, and those were made of, you know, formed sheet metal for the most part. Leica went in the other direction. They did a lot of machining out of solid blocks of metal. And that's right. That has advantages that things can be maybe a little heavier duty, but it also makes things quite expensive. <laughs> yeah. Cause worth. there's a lot
0: of waste. Uh, um,
1: right. And even and heavy cycle, the, yeah, right, right, right. right exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that, that's another project and, and it spills over into, you know, other work that I do. So it, it'll connect with, uh, with my regular work and I'm sure I'll, I'll, le- I'll learn, some things I can use. So it's a good thing. All to do. right.
0: One of the things, um, i've been looking at a lot lately is the idea of shooting onto paper and um i did uh, i do have some ilford direct positive and i've shot two frames with that so far and i I, i'm gonna say moderate success i had a little bit of problem with the camera um with the shutter on the camera and and got a multiple exposure on one of them um uh but you know that's operator error Um, it's not about the technology in that case, but the, um, uh, uh, I've been looking at, you know, and uh, looking at, uh, Graham from the sunny 16, his ultra large format, 16 by 20. Well, I was, uh, purchasing some photographic paper in anticipation of receiving the enlarger. And I came across on, UltrafineOnline.com, they have some uh, paper that is panchromatic. Mm-hmm. Now, almost every photographic paper is orthochromatic, which means it is sensitive to uh, green and blue colors, but it is not sensitive to red and orange colors. And, and hence the safe light. We can turn on a light in a certain part of the spectrum and not affect it. Um, but this paper uh, um, is not orthochromatic. It's panchromatic. Wow. And uh, I, I didn't end up buying it, but I it, but it, it, it caught my eye. Now, one of the things is it's available in four by five sizes, but four by five is a little bit – four by five printing paper is a little bit bigger than the four by five – film and four by five uh like direct positive there's a slight difference in size so you do have to trim it out to use it in a camera um or you can you know put it in a pinhole and 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 do it do it that way but it is once again i want to emphasize it is panchromatic reds will show up on this yeah as opposed to the orthochromatic paper that we normally use And, um, and it was just one of those things where I should, uh, should have just thrown in a pack. It's not, it's not super expensive, um, but
1: definitely something to try. I think it sounds actually pretty interesting because I like paper negatives a lot and, but they are, they're always a little odd looking and that might be one of the factors that I'm just, we're not sort of not realizing is impacting them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so, uh, so that was something that I came across and, um, I'm a little bit excited, uh, about, um, and, uh, you know, and so I, I think I'm going to go back and I'll, I'll buy some of that. I buy, uh, I'm going to say, you know, once again, we're not sponsored by, um, Ultrafine, although Ultrafine, if you want to sponsor us, you certainly can, uh, <laughs> you know, Uh, We're not we're not, um, you know, sponsored by them, but I shoot a lot of ultrafine extreme film because it's three dollars a roll. You know, one twenty film is I think it's three nineteen a roll or three twenty nine a roll. And um, it comes in one hundred and four hundred speed film. It's a it's a traditional grained, really nicely grained, traditional grain film. It is fresh. It is good. It is being made today. We are supporting some manufacturer. Um, there are some questions as to who actually manufactures ultra fine. There's a, uh, It uses the same backing paper as Ilford products, so there are lots of people who think it's the same as Kentmere. Um, but then, on if you go to Wikipedia, they say there's some company like General services products or something that does the coating for ultrafine so it may be that they just buy the packing uh buy the backing paper uh from that, the
1: eu that wouldn't uh, surprise me no. i just recently heard another puzzle people were trying to solve and that turned out that there was like a chinese shanghai backing paper was being used but there were they were certain yeah. that, that the emulsion was from some other place so i think backing paper is probably only made by a couple of you know, a smaller number of outfits and other, everyone's buying from, from those suppliers.
0: Yeah. 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 So, so anyway, my, my point on, on that is um, uh, it's worth going to Ultrafine online um, and, and buying their, their stuff because it, it's the cheapest stuff on the market. Really seriously. It is the most cost effective photographic uh, material that's out there uh, that is fresh. So, um, so I'm not sure how they do it, but they do it. And and, and I, uh, I support them on that. So and I'm also the other thing was the photographic paper that I bought. I bought some uh, pearl and some glossy multi-grade or variable contrast, they call it. And it's their brand and it's half the cost of uh, Ilford. So it's about um, well, OK, so it's about 50 cents a sheet when you buy it as 25 sheets. Uh, it's just over that. It's, it's so maybe 55 cents a sheet, and the cheapest you can get ultra or excuse me, um, Ilford multigrade is about 88 cents a sheet if you buy a hundred pack. So uh, anyway, uh, my yeah, my,
1: the Shanghai film is in that r- range for four by five. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, well, oh, I'm talking. This is uh, photographic paper, so um as opposed to the shanghai
1: well uh, they make they make both they make paper as well so that's probably even way cheaper so their film is basically competitive with paper prices and who knows what their paper i I actually picked up in one of my thrift store hauls a a big box of 250 8x10 sheets of shanghai so i'm gonna get to see what it's like
0: yeah okay cool um shanghai photo paper on alibaba let's see there what you I go come up with. <laughs> um and it looks like it is inkjet everything i'm coming up with is inkjet
1: yeah then they also make yeah. uh they also yeah make and, and well, this and you, is on Ali, alibaba so right, right.
0: i yeah uh so i have to find uh, a supplier for that and uh if you know of one uh send it to me an email and i'll include it in the show notes for today sure So, okay. One, one last thing that I have that I wanted to talk about today is metering. And, um, this is something I, I, um, am going to do an episode on metering on get started with film photography podcast, um, the other podcast I do. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about that. And, um, there are, um, a bunch of different ways of doing metering. but one of the ways that I've found in my life um, is the most effective way is to do incident metering. do you ever have you ever done incident meeting metering? Oh yeah. So most of what we do uh, for metering, especially um, you know if you have a built-in light meter in a camera, Or you have a handheld meter most of what we do is reflective light meter so what it does is it meters light coming off an object so if the object is really if the object say you're taking a picture of a uh a flower against a white wall so it's going to see mostly that white wall and it's going to try to make that white wall middle gray similarly if you're taking a picture of a flower against a black wall it's going to try to lighten up. It's going to going to expose more. It's going to try to make that ba- that wall a middle gray again because it's really, you know, it's what's filling the frame most. And it's trying to make that middle gray.
1: And that's However, why people will often use a spot meter in that situation. Uh, yes, because yeah. yeah, when you're dealing with reflected light, it, you need to outthink it and it can help to get uh, local readings from specific objects.
0: Right, right. So the other way of doing it is if you take an incident meter, which is you walk over to the flower and in the light of the flower, you, whatever lights falling on that flower, you take a meter reading with like a little dome. It it usually has a little, little creamy white dome. It's
1: a diffuser.
0: Uh, It's a diffuser diffuser. And it measures the light falling on the object and if you do that, you are going to get the right exposure because that white wall will come out white, the black wall will come out black, and the flower will come out as the flower is in that in that situation. And so I went on eBay and um, there's a company called Luxi, L-U-X-I, and they make these little light meters that, first of all, they make a, uh, an incident light meter for your uh, phone, so they make the app. Uh, and so you have to download the app and they do it for the iPhone. I don't know whether they do it for Android because I have an iPhone.
1: So, um, so they, they make the little uh, milky dome that you can stick over your camera right, on your phone, right. that, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. And now the problem is that it, they're made for phones um, that don't have cases on them. And I'm not going to take my phone out of the case out in the field. Because I'm going to drop my phone. I'll guarantee you that (laughs) I'll drop my phone, right? So um, I had to clip away um, using uh, some snippers. I had to clip away the back of that thing so it'll fit on my phone. And now it takes two hands, but that's not that big a deal because I'm going to be taking a light meter, uh, reading and then putting it all away. Right. I'm not going to continue to hold that thing as I take the picture with the camera.
1: So the you, idea you could probably this, probably figure out something with a clothespin to, you know, to, to put it right. Under.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I could 3D print a little holder if I if that was what I wanted to do. Um, and I and I certainly may do that uh, eventually. But the idea of this whole thing is it is a vastly superior. And I, I know that Ansel Adams um, uh, zone system uh, folks are are turning in their graves and they're going to probably come at me as zombies.
1: But it yeah, is- but that, but Ansel Adams would have had to send an assistant all the way over to the half dome to turn around <laughs> and get that reading. So. <laughs> right. Of course right. he didn't do that. <laughs> it right. would have had to use a walkie talkie to get the what? reading. And yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. Or not even a walkie talkie. One twenty fifth at 5.666. <laughs> <All right. laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. Um yes, I'm the donkey rider. I take the incident light meter. Uh, but yeah, um y- y- you know, and and there's something to be said for the zone system because you can actually override what the light is and uh, take a picture in your own Um, system but but one of the reasons why i'm going to do this for the um uh get started with film photography podcast is the idea of the you have to know what the light meter in your camera is trying to do and know when to override it um and know you know uh, because there are so many situations in which your light meter can be fooled
1: so and what, I mean, the, and what the incident meter basically is doing is telling you where middle gray would occur, you know, in the in the technical sense and then deciding whether you want to push that, uh, you know, higher or lower on your own personal zone. It's it's it gives you a solid idea of where to start. So right. the more information, the more different kinds of information you have, the better a job you can do. And and I often will use a spot meter in, in you know, as as a way to find out, well, okay, what's the brightest thing here? What's the darkest thing here? What's the range between? Yeah. In order to start finding my way to, you know, to understand what to do, and the incident meter gives you that standard neutral starting point, and then right. the spot meter lets you know whether whether you want to push it up or down.
0: And lots of cameras allow you to switch into a spot metered mode. Um, and yeah, but it's unless it's right.
1: a really small spot, it's kind of a. Yeah. It's a limited use that the, the, well, the real have, the real ones are, the, are what you need if you're if you're looking at, yeah, you the, know, a big complicated scene or anything like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. A one degree spot meter. Sure. Absolutely. But then, you know, once again, I'm going to say the same thing as, of setting up a four by five and focusing on the ground glass and then adjusting the movements about three quarters of the way through that whole process. I've completely lost interest. You know, uh, so that's one of the things about a spot meter. You can you can lose yourself in figuring out what where you're going to place it, what area in what zone and all that type of stuff, Um,
1: you know. Yeah. That's, so so the way I look at that is for yeah. a lot of the work I do, I'm with you. I'm impatient and I just want to, you know, deal with what's happening. Uh, but then sometimes there's a, an image that's worth taking the time over. And, you know, so it's good to have all of these. Options. Yes,
0: you're absolutely right. I, I fully agree with that. And I fully support that uh, that idea. So anyway, um, the it just it's just these a little uh, the idea of using a uh, a diffuser over your 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 phone and you have to have an app that is is reading that diffusion. Right. Um, uh, I I I've, I think of that one of the reasons why I think of that is because more often than not, I shoot sunny 16. Um, I, you know, I'm using either a camera without a light meter or I'm using a, uh, a camera um, that has a broken light meter or, uh, or I'm using one of these, you know, cobbled together cameras that we have. Um, You know, I'll, I'll just, I'd just rather sunny 16 it. And when you sunny 16 something, you are working essentially on the same principle as how much light is falling on the object. So it is using your eyes as a diffusion meter or as a, uh, an incident light meter. Um, and so that is that's one of the things that I'm uh, uh, I've been thinking a lot about lately. And, um, and and I think it's a worthy thing to explore. Um, so. So that's yeah, and I think that's the, been on there.
1: the incident light meter, since it has to point back generally in the direction of the of the camera or the light source, maybe what you want to do is use a selfie stick and turn your phone around. On that. So you can you know, you can just sort of hold it out there pointing back towards where you are. And...
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's a great idea. Mm-hmm. That's a better use of a selfie stick than taking a selfie, isn't it? <laughs> well,
1: uh, you, could, you could accomplish both.
0: yeah yeah no selfie sticks how many places have you been that say no selfie sticks uh i've been uh no tripods no selfie sticks i've seen i've I've
1: never i've never run into that but i i don't go many places where there's any kind of rules at all so (laughs)
0: when i was at okay north of victoria on vancouver island there is uh a garden what's the name of that garden do you remember what it is
1: uh bush garden I think.
0: No, that's not it. Anyway, uh, 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 what I was there was a, a sign. No tripods, no selfie sticks. Nice. And of course, uh, here, here's what I love is I think that they have that they charge people more to go in and do photo shoots. So we were as we were walking along through one section, there was uh, there were there was a guy and uh, and a woman and it, it was obviously a photographer and a model. And she'd be walking along in normal clothes, and then she'd take off her jacket and pose, and he would take a picture, and then she'd put her jacket back on. <laughs> you
1: know? That was Book like, Art Gardens.
0: Yeah, Book Art Gardens. Yeah, Book Art Gardens. Yeah, there we go. Um, So, yeah, and, and it was uh, and anybody who's not been there and is visiting the Pacific Northwest, and specifically if you're going to Victoria, um, take the time. My God, it is world class. It is a world class garden. Um, and I'm going to say that um, now m- my father's a landscape architect. So I spent lots of my childhood visiting gardens with him. Um, and I've been to Kew Gardens with him in, in London. I've been uh, we talked about that um, uh, in, in the 80s. I think that you were there sometime earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. anyway. Um But uh, Book Art Gardens, um, world class. Definitely uh, take your time. Uh, Make it a destination and give yourself four or five hours. And they have two different restaurants in there. So if, you know, uh, if you want to do it over a a meal time, that's certainly good. Uh, It is well worth uh, the entry point for that.
1: And also, um, uh, Vancouver, BC has some amazing, absolutely amazing public gardens, big okay. public park gardens yeah. that are, yeah, are really special. Yeah, we
0: didn't, we didn't get into Vancouver.
1: Um, Next but, time. Uh,
0: yeah, I did. I did visit this guy named Nick, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and so we we headed that way rather than go through uh, Vancouver. Start off my shout outs this week. Um uh, we're we're gonna do Dom again, P H Dom on, or maybe he's not even PH Dom anymore on Flickr. He's Dom on Flickr, and he is on Instagram Copsworks, C O P S E W O R K S or W O R K. Um uh, anyway, um He is – I've just been talking with him about um, submissions to our zine, and I'll talk about our zine in a second. But um, he was um, uh, – he he has been doing just some absolutely uh, amazing work lately. He was on the Lensless podcast uh, a little time ago, a couple of episodes ago, so I would say just mid-May, say May 15th-ish. Uh, So if you want to go back uh, through the Lensless podcast, um, I think Andrew uh, wants to come visit him uh, and stay for free at Andrew's or at uh, Dom's house. But, uh, but anyway, his work has uh, once again, I think I've uh, done him as a shout out before Uh, his work is absolutely fantastic.
1: Uh, Yeah. He's a skilled woodworker, but he also uh, combines ready-made parts with his homemade parts very well and Right. Um, and, and that it's the kind of cameras I'd like to be building when I get around to it. Uh, that's that's what I what yeah. I would say about them. And I just wanted to mention that uh, on our Flickr group, uh, he recently posted images of a new uh, camera, which is has an adjustable depth body. And he's got it set up to take Mamiya press lenses. Uh, and that's particularly interesting to me because I'm working on a camera uh, collaborating with, well, Basically, Ethan Moses is making a really cool camera for me, but to, with a lot of input of, of how I want it to be. Um, that may turn out to be a prototype for future uh, medium format cameras. And in this case, we're setting it up to take Mamiya press lenses because I've kind of committed to that as my medium format uh, uh, system because I, I like uh-huh. I like that you know they're completely self-contained interchangeable lenses that have a shutter and aperture and a helical helical for focusing all in the the same unit and and anyway uh so that's really great so he's making a version and i'm making a version and probably i'll make a couple versions um and then ethan's got one uh in progress that looks like it's going to be just a great camera and could be the basis for a whole kind of like the OG, but more of a medium format camera. Anyway, uh, smaller, more compact uh, setup for the standard roll film backs that fit GraphLock two x three standard. Cool. Really fun. Cool. Yeah. 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 Absolutely.
0: And I'm looking at these um, uh, these images that Dom has posted on our Flickr group, which is the homemade camera podcast Flickr group. And um, he's he's essentially it's a dual rail um view camera, but it looks like uh he's got a Mamiya, here, it probably says on well, the so fifty millimeter fifty millimeter Mamiya press lens.
1: So That's what's on there. But the rails yeah. look very much like the ones that I took off of a, a Fuji G X six eighty. Oh,
0: yeah yeah they do. Um so yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, so that's another of the projects I've got cooking um the G S six eighty parts that I want to make a little field camera that takes medium yeah. format film. Um and we've been So, yeah, working with Ethan has been great. It's kind of got me going again on this, and um, uh, I'd like to – yeah, I'd like to make a couple different versions of this. Uh, I also want to put a – so Mamiya Press uh, lenses, they actually made a really big, giant uh, set of extension tubes for those lenses. And Uh the end that clips to the lens is a very compact, uh, short-threaded, very short-threaded tube with with a – with a um, bayonet mount, and then the other end would mount to a, a Mimeo Press camera. But the, that part taken off of the extension tubes can be used easily to make to mount Mimeopress Press lenses on anything you want to attach that uh, little part to. So I want to put one on a, on a lens board so that I can use those lenses on, you know, view cameras and stuff like that too.
0: Yeah, cool, 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 cool um shall we talk about the zine let's talk about the zine um we are uh as we recorded this we're in the first week of june um we and this will come out on the 7th of june um we are uh we have one show more that we will do before the zine submissions are due the zine it, um it's the end of June. So June 30th, Those are, that's the, the last time for the submissions. We already really, we have enough to put together a zine already. Um, and we'll probably do another one in a year. I think that this would be something that would be good to do once a year. But get in the first one. There's room for everybody. Uh, we don't have a limitation on pages because this is going to be a digital publication. Um, And, uh, and, Hey, I'll talk about my own zine here in a second to, to tell you, uh, I did a zine as a test for this. And it's also a concept that I've talked about on the show before. And I'll talk about that in a second, but the end of June is our deadline for submission. Now uh, we were just talking about uh, Dom's work. He has submitted a picture, uh, uh, a series of photos of a camera and he starts with the board <laughs> that he started making the camera out of so uh, you don't have to do that um i i love the fact that he did it and i'm excited about that um i you don't have to go that far um but you know because not every you know uh, uh we don't necessarily have to have a process it's nice to have the process of the build uh, um, but we don't have to have the process. We want pictures of the camera and we want pictures from the camera. So those two things together, and then a description of what's going on. So if you go to our website, which is homemadecamera.com and look for, there's a zine submission link right there on the home page. zine submission link, click on that and it will take you to uh, our form. And there are two parts to the form. One is the information that you're going to fill out and then below, and then you submit that. And then below that is uh, a, uh, an upload for files. I had to do them separately because it would have cost me money to license the form uh, through WordPress. um, If I was able to take submissions within the form, but I could do them separately and it would cost us nothing. So, and the whole point is a little bit of a fundraiser. For this, And I think that this is going to be just, I think this is going to be the coolest zine of the year. Seriously, I think this is going to be the coolest zine of the year. Um, Now, I have put up as a test on my Etsy page. um, And uh, if you go to Etsy, you want to search frozen photon camera company. Um, But I have a zine that is up right now. And that zine is based on the one role concept. Now, um the one role concept is uh it, it's kind of a riff on the old contact sheet um publications where where there would be a contact sheet of all the pictures taken in a photo session and then you would see the ones that were chosen from that but you would see all the images on the contact sheet and generally those were portrait sessions but my riff on that is the idea Of I'm going to just go out and take a roll of pictures and then I'm going to show every picture that came from that roll with the idea of, hey, this is everything. This is the good, the bad and the ugly. And this is, you know, um, even in in my first zine, uh, the first uh, content page of my zine is a set of pictures that uh, during developing touched each other. So there's nothing visible on these, but they're part of the role. So I put them in. Um, So it was like three ruined frames right at the start. (laughs) But um, so so anyway, um, that's up on my Etsy page. Also, I'm charging the princely sum of a dollar eighty five for that um, with, uh, you know, with the idea of uh, it gets me a little bit of money um, and. It, it, and you only have to pay a little bit of money. That's the uh, that's the idea. Uh, so uh, so by now
1: fact. you so, you could you can probably afford another roll of film by now, right? I you know
0: what I, I could afford three rolls of film. Right nice now <laughs> from from what uh,
1: from so what the, my uh, yeah. So this project is actually growing, you know, in ge- by geometric progression. Geometric it's, in no fact, time, um, the world will be completely encircled with these one roll of these right. Exactly.
0: And that's part of the deal is that um, I uh, I did the first one. But that doesn't mean that anybody else can't do another one. Um, So, uh, you know, um, you know,
1: I, I just didn't like the sound of this idea at all when you proposed it. And now that I've uh-huh. seen the, the, the zine you made and purchased it. There you go. It Yeah. I suddenly want to do it <laughs> because because there is something about forcing yourself to go all the way and publish it that makes it much more of a serious challenge. You know, it's like what right. well, I tend to you know, I tend to do that thing that Graham Jago mentioned where you you finish the role in the parking lot and take a bunch of stupid pictures because you just want to get it developed. But your idea that you're going to publish the whole thing makes you it kind of forces you to, you know, keep your standards up a little bit all the way through the whole role. And I think it's a I think it's a really good exercise, and I think it's kind of interesting. Um, and you could, of course, do the same thing with a digital camera, but then you don't have the limitation of only thirty-six frames, and you'll, of course, take too many, and you'll end up with a bunch of crummy images. So, I think the uh, I think it's a better challenge than I realized, or more right. interesting project than I realized it would be. Um,
0: and and you know, just, uh, the, this, uh, on the sunny 16, they just did a version of that, which was instead of doing their normal Sunday night talking, they took an hour of that time and went out and shot, uh, each one of them shot a roll of film or in, uh, in, uh, AIDS case, a pack of film. Cause he did the instant and the results I thought were really interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, And 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 they approached it in different ways. Well, uh, and then they they asked people to record their own. And I and I've done a recording, but I haven't edited it yet. Uh, I went out and shot a role um, this last uh, this last week. I think it was on Thursday. And it um, and, and I recorded and I talked about it and I talked about what I was shooting with and and the film I was shooting and all that type of thing. But it was um uh it, it it's a similar idea of this is the um you know this is this is the role. This is you know, just doing a body and not expecting everything to come out and see it works and all. Um uh, yeah, it's so a, it's
1: kind of a be here now state of mind. And and it also right. has solved your inability to take notes because now, now you <laughs> Right. Now you probably actually right. have exactly. some information about what it was you were doing that, that, you know, you can look back at later or listen right. to later. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, I, I was really taken with that. It was very fun to listen to, uh, the, yeah. the you know, sort of the, the mental thought processes of three different people. And the fact that they were doing it simultaneously and that, you know, they all sort of know each other and I've gotten to know them through listening to the podcast a little bit. That made it even more interesting. Uh, so. Sure. It's not even just like the zine sort of floats by itself. But this this emanation from the podcast has an extra layer because it's like a chapter in a book you were already were reading. And uh, I don't know. I, I thought right. it was really fun and worth repeating. I'd like to try it. Uh, yeah. And I, I think field recording is something that you and I both could get into more of, not just to talk about what's in our heads, but, you know, to maybe get information from other people. Um, right. Right, feed exactly. It, feed it back into, uh, into you, the podcast.
0: Now there is something um, uh, that I, you know, I've just thought of, um, and that is you can embed audio files in a PDF. So you could do a PDF zine that has a the audio recording component that goes with this um
1: that's a really cool i didn't realize that i've been wanting to do that for a long time because i've often thought you know when you're photographing a you know woodland scene or whatever how much fun it would be to have a little recording of the bird song and the wind and the leaves to go with a still image like of course it's there in a movie we're used to that but but it's missing when you look at still images and it would be it could be really kind of fun to include it or at least as an option so that if a person wanted to you know push the right button on their phone they could listen you know
0: right well it wouldn't necessarily you know or on on your computer or or, well i suppose anything that's uh that's uh i uh i i don't know whether the audio portion would work on a phone but i can certainly check it out that's well within my
1: power well so what i'm imagining is let's say you have a print hanging on a wall Right. Uh-huh. You, couldn't you have a little Bluetooth device <laughs> on the back of the picture frame? <laughs> oh yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. If, that, that oh would, yeah, if you know the way that. they have
1: museum recordings now that where you you don't have to rent the earphones anymore. You can just uh, use an app on your phone and, and listen. Right.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. You absolutely could do that. You yeah. That's that that. And you know you could do it. You could do it a hundred different ways.
1: Um, well, you could have alternative tracks. You could have, you know, Graham talking about his work. You could have bird song and wind, or you could have, you know, punk music. I mean, whatever, right?
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you could do it with QR codes. Um, right. That, that would not be a problem at all. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, um, interesting stuff um and it's interesting stuff on getting your work out there in ways that are is a little bit different from uh the work uh it's it's just a little bit different from uh um yeah anyway well um, because because you from from social media
1: because you have a unit of a bunch of images that go together in some way, either be just because someone edited them into a zine or because you took them all in one roll, or whatever, there's um, there's an ex- expanded context for the images that, that you can yeah. create, that you don't get you know, scrolling through Instagram one picture after another from like seven zillion different sources. Like there's a kind of chaos there that it can be fun, but it can yes. also be mind numbing and, and, this yeah. is, you know, the opposite where you you put things together that have some kind of relation to each other and create a big uh, something bigger than the sum of the parts, as, as they say. Yeah. So cool.
0: Yeah. Um, do you have a book for us this
1: week? Oh, I don't have a particular one. Actually, I did have one, um, but I, I, I don't want to get up and go look for it. But that's OK. OK, we'll skip the sure, book. sure, sure. And uh, okay. I did want to say, though, that uh, if you remember there was a thing on the Classic Lenses podcast where whenever Carl was silent, you could assume he was buying a lens in the background <laughs> uh, that had just yeah. been talked about. And so this is not the first time I've kind of uh, fallen into that. I didn't buy anything, but um, with a side device, I did some uh, messaging with Ethan Moses about the camera that he's building for me. So. <laughs> so i actually was okay, doing so some they, homemade camera work while we were making the podcast on the side and hey, he, you Ethan gotta love Ethan that. says yeah, hi he that. says he hasn't talked to you in too long and yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i think yeah. he was he was super busy for a couple of weeks with something to do with a lot of weddings uh, and oh um, really okay yeah that's that's why we and hadn't he, heard from him
0: and he it went was, to and he went to new jersey to uh, to be on the the FPP you know the king yeah, yeah. all yeah. podcasts um so uh so i thought that was pretty good uh yeah
1: and it's kind of uh it's exciting to me that the fpp is connecting up with the you know the whole like new do-it-yourself camera uh side of yes because yes. they've done a fantastic job of talking about traditional and you know antique and and old cameras for years and years and years and there's this like new movement of making your own cameras that's starting to gather more. I mean, people have always done it, but it's definitely gathering momentum. There's a lot more people interested in it. And right. I don't think it's just because we're running out of old cameras. I think it's because it's starting to dawn on people that there are possibilities that were, you know, only for there for the wealthy in the past that now uh, ordinary people can can create some pretty exotic and exciting, uh, you know, photographic tools now.
0: Right, right. So, OK, um, shall we uh, y- you can get a hold of me, Graham at homemade camera dot com. You can. That's the way to email me. Um, I am uh, Graham homemade camera on Instagram. I am f- freezer of photons on um, on what on Flickr. And you can get my zine uh, and on Etsy and you want to search frozen photon camera Co and uh, that's and I'll have that in the the show notes and all that type of stuff um, how do we get a hold of you uh,
1: well the the bulk of my uh, experimental work and you know uh, photographs that I'm fooling around with go on to Flickr under nick lyle uh a f- very small number of the nicer images end up on instagram under avi nick a-v-y-n-i-c-k uh
0: uh-huh.
1: and then the email for us what is it nick at homemade or that's Nick Lyle. It. oh it's just Nick. no okay.
0: no no just nick
1: yeah nick yep. at homemade camera.com that's a good way to email um uh-huh. and i i notice in, any kind of messaging on Flickr because i check it more often uh um, I just started realizing people send messages on Instagram and I, I usually ignore them. So now I have to start paying attention to that, too. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. There are too yeah. many
1: channels. I refuse to watch them all, yeah. you know.
0: Well, there are all of those really pretty girls who are sending me messages all the time on uh, on Instagram. And oh, they are so pretty. And I, 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 and I block them everyone (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah all right well you know who knows that's right that's right so uh so we want to thank robbie right
1: yeah robbie Cribbs uh created the music that we use throughout the podcast and thanks again